And we are back for another part train. Guys, I know we say this every time, but, you know, I'm just telling the truth. This interview is a fantastic one. Okay, Strat and Cermak aren't here this week. It's just myself and Akbar Chisti, the founder of Seamus Golf. And this interview is a really unique one because I don't think I could say this about any other interview we've ever done. Whether you're a golf nut like us or you accidentally tapped our icon on the podcast app and actually hate golf, I think all of you will actually learn something really valuable from this interview and you'll you'll just simply enjoy the great conversation. So Seamus Golf is known for their authentic head covers, their copper steel ball marks, etc., all inspired by what you used to see in Scotland back when the game was invented. They're one of my favorite companies out there, not just in golf, but they're so much more than just a golf accessories company. Uh, I took a tour of their design center and their company in Portland, Oregon a few a couple months ago. I sat down with Akbar face-to-face. They are just the perfect example of not caring what a business book says to do. They focused on what they thought was cool, and they're doing things that nobody else in golf are doing. So we'll cover things like a must-listen Matt Kuchar, Ryder Cup story. We talk a lot about Bannon Dunes. Um, he's caddied there. He plays in the Summer Solstice event every year. They actually made history with goat caddies, how to break into the golf industry, advice on a, how to start your own business, and just a lot of heartfelt stories in between. So buckle up, enjoy. Let's just dive right in. And we're back for another part train. Akbar, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm excited to continue the conversation we had in person a couple I guess it was about a month ago. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Um, it's pretty cool. You guys are uh, into the stuff that we do, man. That's flattering. Very cool. Thank you. Of course, yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about it before we started recording. I was thinking about how to introduce Seamus for those that maybe aren't familiar with it. And even calling you the best accessories company in golf, I think, does you a disservice. I think you guys are more than just accessories and head covers. To me... You guys are about bringing back the essence of the game that we love from when it was created back in Scotland, right? And I think there's something very unique about you guys where you're giving us all a chance to own a small piece of that and serve as our own personal expression. So um, we're excited to have you on. That is deep. And uh, <laughs> honestly, like it wasn't really our original intentions to um, try to have such a big impact. I think that like what's happened is like people have gotten into what we do and supported it and allowed it to grow that way. And, you know, there's a chance that we might be able to influence a lot of people into, you know, playing the game, uh, the way it used to be. And as it turns out, I think there's a lot of things about the way the game originally was played that are very modern and hip, you know, people weren't so serious about it. I mean, Uh you have to think about it. I mean, there were, they were literally just taking a handful of hickory clubs uh, and just hitting balls, you know, probably toting their sheep around, (laughs) Um, playing quickly. They were walking. Uh, They were on generally pretty rugged links land terrain. Right. Um, And and that, that whole thing, that whole experience of playing like that um, truly is like what it's all about. And what's funny is now we're just talking about, playing Lynx golf and walking and, you know, people who play quick and people who aren't that serious. And it's really just going right back to where it was to begin with, you know, not 
the carts, the six hour rounds, the, you know, stuff like that, that I think people have grown to believe that's what golf is, you know? Right. Yeah. And I'd love for you to get into it. And I've got questions, um, to give people more context of how Seamus started. But before we get into it, I always like starting off with a, a fun question. We actually asked this to your guy, uh, Eric Lang. We had him on a few months ago and, um, this was one of my favorite questions asked. So you go to an iconic course, right? And mm-hmm. you always want to get a few souvenirs in the pro shop. So since you make a lot of these items, I'm curious to know, what are your top three items to get at a course? I'll give you mine to start to give you context and give you a second to think about it. So yeah. mine is ball marker number one, because I love being able to have really authentic ball marks that I can use throughout my rounds to remind me of a place I've been. Number two is the hat. You can wear it anywhere. And three is the quarter zip. So those are my top oh. three. Eric's was actually a belt. Zip. His number one was a belt, which I was surprised by. But Oh, I've seen him buy belts. I've, I've <laughs> had to buy belts for him when he forgot his wallet. I, I know about his belt. Thing. Yeah, he loves it. So what's your top uh, three? I've always been kind of a bigger dude, and I know that this is not the direction of the question, but I usually <laughs> don't fit in a lot of the clothes that are in the golf shop. Uh-huh. So when I'd go in, uh, or I just didn't really like a lot of the clothes. Like I wouldn't think of a polo to take because, like, you know, I didn't always want to wear a logo uh, polo all the time. Yep. Because it didn't always be – it wasn't always fitting for, like, if you wanted to play golf and go have dinner with the family or whatever – it's just like the logo is still there. Uh, so, so I've always been really into like accessories and like, it's strange to say, but like, I was always like looking at head covers. Hmm. Um, like I had a wolf head cover growing up. I had a Superman head cover growing up. I had like a million different head covers and I was always changing them when I went and played. So it's not as surprising there. And then, you know, I didn't, I would buy like a lot of divot tools, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cause it sounds weird like i was really into head covers and divot tools and then i almost always bought a windbreaker because i was like i could use that a lot and you know those are my three things i would say okay just digging that gird and uh covering the driver i love it <laughs> yeah speaking of you know accessories i was uh amazed by what you guys did uh it was probably a few weeks ago with the web.com and, and web.com players getting their PJ tour cards. And I just wanted to know when someone gets a PJ tour card, your dream is now being realized of playing on the PJ tour, but you guys came in and you custom stamp. Was it copper? Yes. Copper and mild steel. Okay. And then we assembled them, uh, by the 18th green at this recent tournament at pumpkin Ridge. And what was it like handing someone their dream? With the product, you well, make. it was it was pretty cool. I, I didn't personally hand it to them, but they all came up and took pictures and were wanting to hold it while I was making them, and that was really cool. I mean, it was one of these things where I was out that at that tournament about three years ago, watching a buddy play in it, and uh, I saw the cards they were handing out, and they were reminiscent of like a hotel room card, and I was like, right. these people like this isn't like graduating. It's not like from high school or college because like. In both those cases, I was like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore, you know? <laughs> but, like, if you think about trying to get your PGA Tour card, it's an aspiration that starts at a pretty young age. Yeah. And I think you kind of work harder for that than really anything else. I mean, I don't know anything I've worked as hard as to get than these guys on tour, right? I mean, these guys are tra- traveling and trying to play golf for money. And so 
I, I went to the guy who's uh, directing that tournament. I was like, dude, let me just come and do something. I have an idea. Let's do like, uh, let's like just blow this thing up and let's do something that's so special for these guys that work so hard. And uh, the concept was to just be like, kind of bring what you have at like the open championship where they're like engraving, you know, as they go on the 18th green. Well, that's the inspiration and how, how it translated was to have like me stamping there and, um, I, I didn't know how serious it would get on TV, but that was like pretty nerve wracking, but somehow <laughs> we did it without screwing up any of the names. So, yeah, I mean, that's gotta be something that they cherish for the rest of their life. So that's gotta be cool to be a part of. I would hope so. I would hope so. Yeah. That's the goal. So speaking of dreams, I know you always wanted to own your own company and you started in accounting. So this is quite the departure from crunching numbers to, um, custom stamping, um, golf accessories, but I know you've told this yeah. story before. We don't usually like to ask too many questions that are out there already, but I feel like we've got to give the listeners the backstory of how you started um, Seamus and maybe inspire a couple folks to start something of their own. The way it started, I so you, it was funny you mentioned the Kaisers. I grew up in college caddying at Bannon Dunes and working in their shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the guys that I met was Michael. I didn't know who he was and we just hung out and caddied and played golf and stuff and ate frozen pizzas and turned out it was Mike Kaiser Jr. We became good buddies then and then just kind of kept in touch. But um, also in that process, I learned, you know, got to be buddies with their buyer there. And so years went by, I kind of forgot about this time where I like really loved being in that space of golf and wanted to do something in that space of golf and went to pursue my accounting degree and do some cool auditing things. Uh, and and then what happened was I had like a tartan head cover my dad brought me from Royal Troon and it started falling apart. And this is where my wife comes into the equation. She was a designer at Pendleton Woolmill and she did apparel design and she also knew how to sew. So she went in and took one of my old work socks and stitched it to the bottom. <laughs> and I was like, this is cool. And in the process, she's like, I could kind of make a cooler looking one, you know, let's like look at doing a better design. And I, and so I was like, always like the barrel style, but like a lot of tartan head covers weren't like fun. And so what we did then was added a pop color lining and an elastic band. And eventually it was something that really had a couple of characteristics that were unique. And all the while I was just distributing them to my buddies and saying, what do you think? What do you think? Um, before we knew it, one of my buddies was the buyer at BNN and she really liked it, Amy Pendergast. Uh, and she's like, this is really cool. And she didn't buy it right away. She was like, this is cool. It kind of hung out there. And I was like, we should see if we could sell these over there. So then we figured out how to put a logo on there. And, uh, Bannon Dunes was our first account. That's a pretty great first account to get. Yeah. Cause I love that place. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's just the best and it's what it's, what it's all about. And so after that, uh, I went to, I think the 2012 PGA show with a backpack full of head covers and showed them to basically everybody I saw, whether they were on the showroom floor or in the restroom, you know, just <laughs> kind of hustling. Um, I didn't have a booth at the time. Uh, the current director of Jones golf bags had a booth for, he was slinging wedges at the time, Chris Carnahan, so he's like, hey, just come on over and you can just put your stuff in there and sell. It'll give me something to do. We can hang out. It'll be fun. And I was like, great, let's do this. And so, you know, 
he let me sit in his booth then. Then he went over to Jones Skull Fags, and uh, he's like, just come sell stuff out of the booth. Because, I mean, the big difference here is we're totally homegrown. And, like, while Megan was back home kind of filling orders, overseeing our operations, which was out of our house, I was out there selling stuff. So hmm. we continued to be in our house for a couple of years. Uh, and then, you know, there's a lot of details in here. I'm trying to figure out how to, like, I could probably tell this story over the course of, like, five hours and three bourbons or something like that. But like, so then we get to the U S open at chambers Bay and like, there's only like two or three goals I had at that time. One was to be in the U S open. Two was to be at the masters and three was to be at the Ryder cup. Mm-hmm. And I knew that if we did those things that everything else would work out. So, uh, I started out with the U S open and then went to meet with, them at the uh, Vegas PGA show took an anvil and said hey like what do you think of this idea at the time we just started playing around with designing some metal accessories so those were all like handcrafted Um, they were made by a local blacksmith and I grew really affectionate to his design and aesthetic because he was making it the same way that folks used to make hickory clubs and the hickory heads were all hand forged and it just made so much sense to make these really nice small accessories that like were because like I always collected those little things and I felt like why don't we make this out of some nice materials and do it handmade if I'm going to be using it so much. The price was ridiculous. Like I didn't think that the price would work. And my wife Megan was like encouraging, like, you know what? If you want it and you don't care, like, then we don't care how many we sell. It's just do what we do because we we like it it's a lot easier that way yeah we launched the hand forged ball mark at the u.s open at chambers bay and that that was in conjunction with the the rest of our line and we drew a partnership for that with pendleton wool mills so we did a, a pendleton line of head covers and we did our hand forged stuff and i think that Somewhere in and around there, I mean, we had uh, a couple of good press pieces from Marty Hackle at Golf Digest, and, you know, the Kaisers continued to support us, so they opened up Cabot Links, and so Mm -hmm. we had a good spread over there. You know, it's funny. I mean, it's like we have this whole thing where we're in all these great golf shops, but, like, we're not in all the golf shops, but, you know, we're now in the places that we want to be, and in each shop that we've been into, we've really embraced the culture there. And we've picked up, you know, since then, I think those three goals have happened, which was the Masters and getting to do things for the Ryder Cup team. That's awesome. Well, I've got two things to say to that. One, we joked about this when we met a month ago, but I've since regretted not spending $40 on a ball marker at Bandon. So to all you golfers out there, if you're you're at the golf shop and you're like, this is a little bit more than I was planning to spend on a ball marker or bag tag or whatever – I'm telling you, you will regret it because it's far better than anything else you're going to spend 15 or $20 on. So just do it. That's one. Two is it's funny that you mentioned that you started with your wife because I have friends that legitimately put generic head covers on their driver so that the wife doesn't see that they bought a new club again. And the fact that you that your wife was just voluntarily creating golf accessories for you starting out sounds like the dream so bravo to you it sounds like you made a great choice well yeah i mean she voluntarily fixed my head cover (laughs) but there was some encouragement on like turning this into a business i think that she wasn't entirely sold on it but the second we got the order from bandon i it was not 
a ridiculous amount of head covers, but she put in her two weeks and I was like, damn. <laughs> and so we, cause we need to sell a lot more head covers now yeah. to make this work. But she was incredibly into it when she thought of the idea of being able to quit her job and start a business. So then I had to continue working two jobs and run Seamus. Mm. So there was a little period where she wasn't totally into it, but once it started going, she was like, this is cool. So, <laughs> It feels like only within the last three to five years that the golf bag has become more of a unique expression of the golfer. It could be personal bias, but I never really remember seeing guys that I'd play with and around the course with more classic bags, classic head covers, customized stuff. It was all like the major OEMs, right? The stock head covers you get at the golf shop. What do you think is changed? I attribute our brand to the invention of Bannon Dunes. Mm. Like, we're all about modern stuff, but we have a huge appreciation for what happened in the past and what brought us here. Um, I think that there's really nowhere to look but the Kaisers that started this movement in North America to appreciate links golf and architectural golf and on a broader scope. Um, because people had a chance to go play these places, like see what it was like. And now they're like, I want to be more like that all the time. And they go back to their clubs and they're like extremely water ferries, lots of trees. And you know, it's, there's no view of the ocean all of a sudden or whatever. And they're like, how do I like continue this passion for that golf when I'm not there? And I think that's what's happened. You know, I, there could be other way more uh, influencing factors that have created this movement because it's inspired so many people, like people to start their own brands, people to walk and play golf and to accessorize in these ways, you know? Yeah. I mean, looking at my bag now, I literally just got my first Jones golf bag with a custom park train logo. I've got uh Seamus golf ball markers. I've got true links shoes. I mean, it's just funny how, you know, before going with a no-name brand in golf was kind of looked down upon or, you know, you're not as elite of a player or, or whatever. Um, but I think that's changing, and, and I, I think it's better for the game. I like to think so, too, you know. I mean, it, I think it'll change the way people see it. And and, and I like that, like, alternative uh, golf options are coming up, like these cool par threes and things. and. Mm-hmm. The punch bowl putting green wasn't invented with the one at Bannon Dunes. It was invented like, you know, a hundred years ago when they built it at St. Andrews for kids and like people who wanted to learn to play golf to practice putting on. And now that's going on everywhere. So what are you doing there? You're making it more accessible to people to learn to play, you know, and having this public philosophy. It's like, there's a lot of great things that are happening in the game. And I think it's, it's going to be nice to see people kind of transition into this kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. And what, what is it about Oregon? Cause I just went for the first time last month. What is it about Oregon that is now the hotbed for authentic, high quality golf gear slash experiences? Let's see here. Who else here? We got us, we got Jones, there's McKenzie, there's Nike golf, which is making a huge moves and strides to do some things better. And, I think who else is out there? We got click gear. I don't know if that counts, but that's cool stuff too. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and, and way back, you know, there was people tinkering around here. I mean, there was a golf bag company 
that invented the integrated rain hood called McMoney's <laughs> in like the early 1900s. Like any rain hood that you see that's affixed to a golf bag was invented in Oregon. I think that's where we get to start with the answer because we got nothing to do in the winter, man. It's <laughs> raining and because all we can do is think about golf. So it's yeah. like you can't play. I think maybe that's part of it, but also it's kind of a maker community. I mean, not all of these brands that I, we've talked about are making stuff here, but like it's been a hotbed for craft in general. And so when you have golfers there in that mix, I think maybe that's it. I don't know. Well, you brought up band and I was going to talk about it later, but because you brought it up, I think it's, it's fun for you to talk about cause you've worked there and obviously you've lived there and I'm pretty sure you've played in the summer solstice every year. Is that correct? I have. So I know people have probably seen the Adventures in Golf episode, but if they haven't, I feel like you've just got to talk about that event and what it's like to be a part of the summer solstice every year. Because once you get in, you you stay in, right? Unless you get kicked out for some reason, which I don't think has happened. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh, the way it started is it was like invitation only, um, small group. I think it was maybe 16 people. And at that time, whoever the influencers were, mm-hmm. were part of it. But the point was, I think we've all tried to do like a golf marathon, you know, like play 36 or sometimes folks will do like a hundred holes in a day in a golf cart or whatever, but like it's a, it's a merry-go-round, right? Right. And you're just going around that same course over again. I did a hundred holes once on a nine hole course. By the near end of it, I was ready to like, I was like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) What differentiates that experience from the solstice experience is immense. We were playing 72 holes. We're walking. Some people are taking caddies. I go caddy for the second half because I want to feel like I accomplished something. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're not playing the same hole twice and you're only playing top 100 courses. And you're doing it in a day, and you're doing it hopefully with good buds because that's where you really got to be selective about who you're spending your day with because you can play 18 holes with somebody you don't like, but 72 is tough. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've been lucky to play with some fun people. Uh, And then there's this camaraderie aspect because everybody, the resort's basically shut down, so everybody's doing the same thing. So you're like, hey, dude, what's up? Or like, yeah, man, I forgot my socks because you change socks all the time. And like people will lend people things. It's really cool. And then you have a dinner and a putting contest and it's it's probably one of the best put together events I've ever participated in but it's fun to do it every year and tell people about the sock changing after each round because this was I was surprised when I went to Bandon the first time they're like no you have to change your socks from 118 to the next well I've learned a lot about footwear because we tried to do footwear this past year and what it is is like in golf Golf is actually, you have some of the most demanding needs for a pair of shoes because it has to be dry, right? Mm-hmm. So they seal it up. Well, if you seal it up and you're walking, your feet can't breathe. Most golf shoes don't really breathe. And so your socks get wet and that's where you get blisters. And you really can't go more than one round walking uh, with the same pair of socks. You can go more than one round with the same pair of shoes. I don't recommend more than 36, but yes, yeah, it's all comes to socks and good socks, like nice padded ones. I love stance. Those are really mm, cool. Yeah. They, they function pretty well too. Talk to me about the goat caddies and you guys, I'm pretty sure you made history. First goat caddy. Uh, 
I know that they've had animals cat with caddies. So like, there's a place I think in the Mid Atlantic area that has llamas. I think, but oh. but the goat thing was uh, near and dear because it was it was a cool little course called Sylvie's Ranch in Oregon that was developing a program where goats could be caddies. And holding all logistical challenges aside, uh, when they called and said, "Hey, you know, we're thinking about doing a bag, and we keep strapping bags on them because but the the way the goat is shaped and its height and you know just the way it moves it's not really working to take a normal golf bag and put it on there and we make golf bags uh i don't think we sell a lot of golf bags because we can't make a lot of them anyways but really it's just a cool little uh sunday bag it was perfect with some changes to be on the goat so we went through many iterations. We didn't have goats here. We we're putting it on our dog. He's pretty big. He's a hundred pounds, but Bruce, who we we're trying to get it on, Bruce the goat or Bruce Kepka or whatever you want to call him, <laughs> he was two hundred pounds. So, so yeah, we went down there. We tested it out, and we made these goat caddies. Their golf bags. Yeah, I mean, what a way to make you just play free, just consulting <laughs> with your goat. Yeah, it's fun. What would you say is the the biggest surprise now that you're in the industry that you didn't expect when you were trying to break in? I was inspired by a lot of great brands. At the time, uh, True Linksware was doing really big things. I think there was, like, Iliac was a company that was cool, and McKenzie was cool, and, um, you know, th- these businesses were all constructed totally different than ours. And now when I'm really into it and we get compared to peers like Link Soul and Grayson and Jones and uh, all these big brands, I didn't realize that what we were doing was so different. And the reason was because we didn't take any debt or investment. And as a business guy, I now realize how that would have made things a lot easier, but we never did. And I think I have just that much more sense of pride about what we've done because we did it on our own, you know? And I think that those brands are all awesome too, but it's 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 amazing to see how the golf business industry is. It's very businessy. It's like there's an investment group, there's there's or there's somebody who's really wealthy who's funding a company, or there's something different, and there's capital. And the way we've cobbled together our brand has kind of been a fun experiment to see if we can do it on our own and and be independent. So. That's the surprising thing I've had. Just going to like all these PGA shows, it's like there's brands that come and go, and every time they go, they like there's like all the investors are there and this and that. So it's like everybody wants to do the golf business, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and I think that most of the golf businesses that are mobilized are mobilized because they have uh, capital, not because they necessarily have money. And the ones that um, get going and kicking up, it's like. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's just a different industry, and I think it's a fun hobby for folks. But if they get into it, you know, they kind of have to come at it with the right set of ideas and the right group of people. Um, and the ones that stick around, like the ones that we're mentioning with names, like Link Soul to Jones to True Linksware. I mean, all these folks you talk about, these companies have great people running them, and that's the thing within the golf industry becomes evident is. Nobody in the golf industry sticks around for a long time unless they're great people. And it's been so great to be in this space because it's like very collaborative and we all support each other. And 
I talk to all these guys every week. So it's a pretty cool crew. I mean, whether it's Eric Lang doing cool adventures of golf, it's a great community. And that's despite the fact that I say like, you know, this, I was going off on this business tangent. It's just like one thing I learned was that like, these are all real businesses that have been constructed and the people running them are great. The ones that are cool. You know? Yeah, and I was going to ask you if you had any advice for people that are looking, doesn't even have to necessarily be the golf industry, just wanting to start their own business. And maybe it has to do with what you just mentioned with um, the people and, and the collaborative nature. But do you have specific advice that you've learned to help someone get their idea off the ground? It's hard. I mean, there wasn't anybody I could talk to when I first was starting about this head cover project that would just be like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, I think everybody told me it was a bad idea whether it was my family to my wife. But, you know, I didn't really care because I was doing it for myself and I wanted to have this head cover. And so I was like, whatever, I'm just going to do it. I think the biggest issue is when people set lofty goals. Because then I made my first run, I was like, this is 100 head covers. Well, at least my buddies will have Christmas gifts. That's basically what I figured. (laughs) If it doesn't work out, I can give them away. And I think just taking a more humble approach to it, um, in the beginning is, is it lets you fall less or not be so surprised when things don't work out or just take a, you know, just take a step back. Let's not talk about like how many golf shops are there. Let's be in 2000. It's like, what do we want to do? Like, I want to do this, 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 and this. All right, let's do that. Let's figure out how to do that and do that for my job. Yeah. Let's do that. I think people would have different opinions, but most of these companies that don't work out have two aggressive goals. You know, it's funny you say that because that was one of the things I remember most from our first conversation where I remember I asked you about that and I remember you saying you weren't really focused on growth. And I thought that that was so refreshing because, you know, I work at a fast growing startup as my full time job and I do this on the side and, you know, it's looked down upon if you're not having aggressive year over year growth targets and all these things. And I just found it really refreshing that you were focused on just creating something that you believed in and knowing that the rest will follow. And I think that's actually indicative in your first goal that you talked about, where you said, all I want to do is I want to be at the Masters. Was it the Masters U.S. Open and Ryder Cup? Yeah. Yeah. And and you did that and you knew that that would provide you enough opportunities to maybe do the next thing. Right. And it seemed like you focused very, you had a very narrow focus, which is probably a good, a good learning for a lot of people. Yeah. I think the focus is good. Um, but, but, you know, I, I think that starting a business and doing it on your own, if you can get it to go, it's about as good as it gets. It's so cool and it's so fun. And we've met so many great people along the way that, you know, the biggest return has been that, you know, and that wasn't even what I thought it would be. I thought it was just going to be able to have my own schedule and do whatever I want, which actually hasn't been true. Sadly, I don't just hang out and play golf every day. In fact, I end up working every day. But you know what? If it's your passion, it's okay. You know? So what's the luckiest thing you've gotten to do since starting this? Oh, man. The coolest thing I've gotten to do? I mean, I think I mentioned it before on the call. And, you know, basically yesterday, and actually for the past couple of team type events we've been lucky to work with matt kuchar matt kuchar emailed us and he said he emailed my wife from his personal account and said hey you know i want to get some of your head covers can i buy them on your website and my wife's like hey this matt kuchar guy emailed he wants to buy head covers what's this all about i was like ah hold on let me uh (laughs) let's get this 
send that email. I'll, I'll, let me email him. So then I just emailed with him, and he's like, so do I just buy him or what? I was like, dude, you don't have to buy anything. Should we pay you? He's like, no, you don't need to pay me. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm like, all right. He's like, I just dig your guys' stuff. I got it at a tournament. So we start sending him the head covers, and we got into uh, the couple of situations where he qualified for a Ryder Cup. And he's like, I want to make some gifts and give them out to guys. And so we did that at Hazel Team. And then we did it at the President's Cup when it was at uh, Liberty National. And now, yesterday, I don't know the timing of the podcast and stuff like that, but, you know, when this is going to be actually listened to, but uh, he called and he's like, hey, you know, I want to do some head covers for the Ryder Cup this year since I'm the vice captain, you know, I'd like to give something out. And so yesterday we went, everybody stopped what they were doing and like literally like we were all making head covers hmm. and it was so cool. And I don't know if they'll maybe get in the, put into play, you know, but it'll be interesting to see because these are probably the coolest head covers we've ever done. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. This will probably be released after the Ryder Cup. So those that listen will probably hopefully see the head covers and then listen to this and understand the backstory. But you guys are probably responsible then for the performance the U.S. team put on at Hazeltine, if that was the first time they got these custom head covers. I mean, that had to have something to do with it. I think only two or three of the guys used them. But, yeah, I would say so. Okay. Well, I like <laughs> I like what I hear then because we're going we're gonna to maintain that cup coming back from Europe. So yeah, I like that we're keeping yeah. that continuity. Ever since Seamus got involved, you know, We'll just take credit for everybody's victories. And no, just kidding. <laughs> you guys uh, got the gold touch. All right, I got a I'm couple more questions for, for you, and then yeah. I'll get you out of here. Uh, it it might be Bandon. It's okay if it is, but I'm curious the best golf trip slash your favorite course. Preserve at Bandon Jones, the par three. Oh yeah. Um, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I don't no. think I've ever left that place more. I mean, I'm always excited and happy and totally stoked on my golf time when I play at the preserve, you know, mm-hmm. but the golf trip, I had a really interesting one recently, um, with my brother and it wasn't like a traditional golf trip. And I usually hate riding in carts, but it was just riding in carts and somehow the, the whole setting overcame that for me. Um, and I went out to big Island and I played a couple of cool courses out there and we planned it in conjunction with, have you heard of the band Iration? Yeah. Hawaiian yeah, radio yeah. rock. Well, one of their band, well, a bunch of their band guys are good buddies and they're going to be out there playing a couple of shows. So we played golf with them during the day and then we went to the show in the evening and we did that for like two or three days. Wow. And I don't know what it is, but I think that one thing that golf trips lack is evening uh, activities outside of just pub Sitting, you know mm. yeah if you go and you play say just imagine what my dream day my dream day is pacific dune preserve and then an iration concert <laughs> tell me how that works but that golf trip isn't there yet and someday it'll happen someday something like that will happen we're going to get a cool band to play at some of these links courses and just do it because that would be the ideal golf trip to me well you know uh link soul and um, at the goat in Oceanside, they've got a, that's pretty close because they always got reggae playing on the range. Um, oh, and they man. always got stuff it's going so on, good. so they probably got the closest thing to that. But I totally, I love that idea. Yeah, it's it's by far. Uh, I love the goat and how John committed there is total inspiration. And so, if and when we have an opportunity to do that in our own backyard, I'm going to be spending a lot of time 
on the phone with John just asking how the hell he did it because that thing is just perfect. They got the fire pit dogs out there. Oh yeah. They got a little kids course. I mean, that's, that's how you get people to play golf. For sure. So my last question for you is, um, is there a difference between simple nostalgia and something nostalgic that also appeals in modern times? So the latter is like something that's timeless, right? Yep. And then the former is something that is just contained within an era. Um, that's a hard one for me. You know, I was trying to get to the fact that like, I think what you guys do well is you have the element of nostalgia in what you do based on where the game started, but it also feels really cool today. And I was curious if there, if that's one of the the elements that makes your products and your brand. One so... of my favorite product designers is Dieter Rams, and he was the lead designer for Braun. And if you look at every Apple product that was made like in the last 20 years, they've been very inspired by his designs. Because if you look at the designs that this guy did in the mid century, they're like timeless. They're still relevant today, even though the technology under them is so old and useless at this point. Like you want to put it on your counter and just look at it. I think that like what the point you're making is 100% accurate. And I think that, like, because we go about it that way, that, like, our goal would be somebody who doesn't play golf sees our bag and our head covers out on a Lynx course and be like, dude, I want to go play golf. This is cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that your point is very valid. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Akbar, for coming on. Is there anything you want the listeners to look out for from Seamus? I mean, obviously, you guys know where to find them. Just Google and search Seamus Golf, SeamusGolf.com. It's spelled S-E-A-M-U-S. They also have an awesome Instagram, so give them a follow. But anything you want to give a shout-out or things to look out for? Honestly, we're just uh, staying busy and getting ready for the holidays here. So I think there will be some exciting stuff in that regard. And you know, and this year, we're, we're having a very big push on junior golf. So you'll be seeing a little bit of that. Love it. Well, you're going to get an order from me soon. I'm going to get – I actually don't have any head cover, so I'm going to get a head cover for myself and maybe the boys here on the par train. And then, yeah, hopefully, uh, like we said when we met um, about a month ago, if you're in L.A. or next time I'm out in Oregon, let's definitely uh, tee it up. Please. That would be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Akbar. Enjoy the the holidays, and hopefully Kuchar hands out those lucky head covers. All right, man. Thank you so much. (laughs) 